another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a good buddy of mine, someone who is, should have been on the show a long time ago, and it finally came together now, which is amazing because he's got a brand new record under the moniker Split Single. Uh, the record's called Amplificado, and it is fantastic. I am talking about my buddy, my pal, Jason Narducci. Now, you might know him from Bob Mould. You might know him from playing with Super Chunk. You may know him from playing solo uh, under his own name, but he is he is an incredible songwriter, and we, we have some fun. You will hear this in one second. But first, if you'd like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turn at a punk podcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, except, well, I probably should have used his help on this one and it probably would have happened way sooner, but he, he did not help me book this one. But thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for this show. I really appreciate it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that you know that you enjoy this podcast that we do here and uh, and spread the word that way. You can also subscribe to it and rate it on iTunes. And thank you, thank you to everyone that does do that. I really do appreciate it. And you can uh, subscribe to it on other platforms, whatever platform you're listening to it on. Uh, you can also head over to patreon.com slash turnedoutapunk and, and support the show that way. Check out some of the stuff we put up on there, you know, footnotes and, and upcoming episodes, lost episodes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and thank you, thank you. Thank you to everyone that does do that. I really do appreciate it. They help me cover the costs of doing this thing, and there are costs associated with doing this podcast. Who, who would have thunk it? Um, and, and also upcoming projects. There's a lot of cool upcoming projects that um, are related to Turned Out of Punk, which are going to be I'm going to be uh, talking about real soon on here. But we'll get to that in upcoming weeks. Um, but speaking of support, this thing would not be possible with the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who said to me, you know what, we enjoy that you do this podcast about punk. Uh, we do not enjoy the fact that you have to do it out of your own pocket, so they help me cover the costs of doing this thing. And it is very much appreciated, and I cannot wait until uh, the House of Vans comes back. The House of Vans are these parties. I used to go there, and I get to do live Turn Into Punk episodes. It feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> it really wasn't that long ago, a couple years now. But when they come back, oh my gosh, I will be back. Speaking of being back, Fucked Up looks to be back on the road come the middle of September. We'll be going out with the band, the legends, the legends, Faith No More, for a few shows. Uh, you can look, uh, find those dates online. I think fuckedup.cc, we have them listed. If you Google Faith No More Fucked Up Tour, that'll come up. There might be some other stuff that comes up, but that, that'll definitely come up. And you can also find Fucked Up going on tour in January, doing the 10th anniversary of uh, David Comes to Life, the album. It's going to be reissued by Matador Records. You can find it there. And we will be coming maybe to your town. Maybe not. But hopefully. And if we do, hopefully I'll see you there. Really, a lot of hope. <laughs> Got to hold on to hope sometimes, though. Got to hold on to that hope. But yeah, please, uh Check out uh, dates for those online. Also, Fucked Up put out Year of the Horse, which is our hour and a half long song as part of our Zodiac cycle. It is f 
been pressed on vinyl by our good buddy Scotty Karate over there at Tank Crimes Records and should be hitting people's mailboxes that ordered it already anytime now and hitting other retail anytime now too, like record stores and things like that. So by all means, check over there at Tank Crimes Records for the Year of the Horse. It's going to be a long record. You know, you got a lot of time now, so you can listen to this hour and a half long song. You know, that's where we're uh, fucked up. Always got its finger on the pulse of, of something. Okay, on to today's show. Today on the show, my pal Jason Narducci is here today. Now, Jason is someone who, as I mentioned off the top, plays in this incredible band, his own band, Split Single Band. Uh, also, Bob Mould and, and played with Super Chunk and played with tons of other performers over the years as well. But he also started this career way back when he was like 10 years old in the band Verboten. Now, Verboten, as we was talking about in the show, was kind of like a forgotten young kid band from Chicago, from the first wave of punk in Chicago. And really, they got thrust back into the spotlight when Foo Fighters did the Sonic Highways documentary series. And Dave Roll talked about how a visit to Chicago to see his cousin Tracy and going to see her band, he was taken back, taken aback by the guitar player, Jason, and really inspired to play music by seeing him, you know, up there on stage like that. So that really brought them back to the spotlight. Now there's a musical about this band. There's finally been a reissue of of the recordings that they did way back in the day. I had no idea it was a demo tape, but it was. Um, but now it's finally out on vinyl and on digital formats. But such an interesting band, you know, because here's this band of super young kids, largely forgotten about, but yet has this incredibly important place in popular music history. Like, that's why we do this podcast. We always talk about the the amazing things that happens in these small rooms when no one's looking in punk rock. And and here we are talking about, you know, this this is a emblematic of, of the thing that, you know, always comes up on the show. Anyway, it's very late at night. I'm getting very philosophical, and that's not, not the strong suit of this show. So I'm going to uh, sit back. Oh, before I do... Pick up Split Singles' brand new Amplificado album. It is fantastic. It is a great record. Also, Jason's going to be going on some touring coming up, so you can find dates and stuff over there at splitsinglemusic.com, including some shows with Bob Mould. So uh, check those dates out. Check out Jason's records. This, have, you're going to have a good time with this one. So everyone, sit back, relax, and enjoy Jason Nartusi on Turned Out of Punk. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, buddy. Great to see you. Well, as I told you just now off air, this is one of the interviews I think I should have done first for this podcast and it has taken me so long to have you on here. Oh, which is I'm honored to because, be here. Well, I'm a flaky fool because... No, you, no, no, no. Well, no, I really do think, and I didn't tell you this off air, but I've got this whole theory and, and, you know, it's, it's fairly simple, this theory as well, but like you are so key to the development of popular music in a direct way in the bands you play with, but also through influence as well, through your influence on Dave Grohl, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later on, but you to me are such a amazing person on a, on a personal level, but also on a musical history level. So 
thank you for finally coming on the show. Uh, it's very sweet of you, Damien. I appreciate that. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm a huge fan of you. And uh, we should also, you know, in time, talk about the first time that I saw you perform. Well, we got a lot to talk about. There's a yeah. lot to get to today. <laughs> this is probably hopefully the first of many. Now that it's happened, hopefully you'll come back for a part two sooner rather than later. But before we get there, I got to start this yeah. way that I'll start off, which is Jason, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? First time, I don't think there's a moment, but, you know, I'm so fortunate to have grown up in Evanston, Illinois. And, um, you know, I met some neighbors, Chris Keen and Zach Kanner, who were not only really passionate music fans, but also musicians themselves. And this is at a young age. I was, I was 10. Uh, Zach was 11. Chris was 12. And uh, we immediately formed a band, uh, Verboten. And um, um, I think it was Chris that brought in the punk rock first. He, he was really passionate about it. And then Zach and I were all in. And then when we got Tracy in the band, she was already into punk rock. So we, and when I say we're fortunate to live in Evanston, we had great record stores where you could get punk rock music because that was not easy to get everywhere in America in 1982. Yeah, absolutely. But um, first record, I mean, I do remember somebody handing us, it might've been Chris who had the, the Effigies record. And what, what, what hit home for us was that that was an Evanston band. And, and this was an actual vinyl record. Now, now a lot of bands just make their own vinyl records, but back then the, uh, uh, what, do, what do I want to call it? Like the, the, the boundary of entrance or like, you know, the ability to make something like that was almost unheard of. You know, it felt like it had to be a company that made that for you. So for us to hold this record that was an actual Evanston band was thrilling for us um musically that band didn't end up you know translating so much for me it was more naked ray gun articles of faith as far as chicago bands um but yeah i mean we were honestly i, I think i'm alone in this i haven't heard of anybody else but circle jerks um really really changed my life i mean that those those records group sex is is one of my favorite records of all time absolutely um, and I, I love that it clocks in at like 16 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> their their full length album is shorter than a lot of EPs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, I mean, and, Sh it, Sugar Beaster is like, what, 30 minutes? Well, that, that's the thing. It's like, it's it's just perfect. It's a sync to the point and it still resonates. You know, like that record is. It sounds like it could was made yesterday. I mean, I, I love their whole just everything about that, the songwriting, the playing, the energy. Um, I mean, Keith is just a legend to me. And uh, yeah, Group Sex is, is probably the most important punk rock record to me. Uh, oh, I take, that, I take that back. I take that back. I can't believe I said this. My dad took me to see Rock and Roll High School in 1979. What? And I <laughs> immediately bought Road to Ruin. So, I mean, Road to Ruin was my first punk rock record. Um, and that was before Verboten. That was before I met the Verboten guy. So I had, I mean, I just want to have something to do with like my song for a couple of years before I even met the Verboten guys. So what does that make you eight getting into punk? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how cool that my dad took me to see that movie. You know, that that's like awesome. It's such a weird campy. And you know what? Like for me, what's so full circle about that movie, my favorite band. I mean, one of my 
favorite bands is Cheap Trick, and that that they were asked to be the band in that movie, and they didn't do it. So they the next choice was the Ramones. I mean, what a totally completely different movie that would have been, been, right? So different. <laughs> so it, different. It would have made a little more sense to see the sex <laughs> yeah, yeah. like symbol stuff kind of played up. <laughs> yeah, the PJ Souls like just fawning over these, but I I like that you know to see PJ Souls fawning over Joey Ramone just kind of like made me even more intrigued you know like yeah <laughs> it makes so much more sense to, when you think of it like that but like yeah it adds a soul surreal quality to the whole movie that like oh you know, yeah like that Rick guy. Nielsen yeah Rick Nielsen is so cartoonish yeah but I don't know Robin Zander is so incredibly handsome that um I don't know. I, I like the way it turned out, but <laughs> oh, absolutely no! It definitely would have been a completely different movie. It probably would have been yeah. a mainstream success with Cheap Trick, whereas with right, Ramon, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And it turns out Cheap Trick didn't need it. They had they had their live record, so yeah. Um, so where did you kind of like go from kind of with Verboten? Like, obviously, you're super young, like yeah, like, unbelievably young. Like, yeah. how did you guys first start playing shows? Do you remember? Well, a lot of it was like school gymnasiums you know battle of the bands i remember going up north to to the you know the north the north shore of, of chicago to uh new Trier high school had a battle of the bands that we played in and it was all like rush cover bands <laughs> you know i mean that was that was of the time you know yep. it was like in 1982 1983 if you're a high school kid you're playing rush you know and here we are i think tracy was in high school and that was it you know the rest of us were still in middle school and we were playing original definitely rock some punk rock you know and uh we were horrified we thought that we were going to get our ass kicked I mean, we thought like it was not our scene at all but fortunately i remember chris's older brother brought a bunch of kids and we had enough evanston kids that sh showed up that just kind of made it about us and just mm. it it was infectious to the rest of the crowd they're like oh these other kids are freaking out i guess we'll freak out too um but then it wasn't oh god no no sorry i mean kick off no um but as far as show shows it wasn't until you know tracy tracy was so she still is she's incredibly charismatic she's the type of person that you meet and you just want to follow her anywhere um and it just so happened it's funny that you brought up jello before we started recording you know, she, she knew the dead Kennedys. She knew naked Rega. She knew rights of the accused. She knew all these bands. Um, uh, remind me to tell you a dead Kennedy story. If, if we talk about the verboten musical, cause that's a whole other thing. But so Tracy would befriend these people and get us these shows. So we played at cubby bear with naked Reagan and rights of the accused in January of 1983. Thankfully my dad brought his massive camcorder and put it on his shoulder and recorded this because I don't know if anybody would believe me that I played at Cubby Bear when I was 11 years old. <laughs> but it, um, it, it's so weird because, like, you know, I've got an 11 year old now, and you know, I can kind of think back to when I, I do was, too. You know, and, and it's how otherworldly is it that you're playing shows with with like legit adults? You know, yeah. like unless it's, it's a absurd. concert in Minecraft, I can't see the kids doing it right now. In a bar. In a bar. In a bar. My dad. My <laughs> I, I mean, it's my dad drove me to the show. How else would I get there? Yeah. And we pull up. I'll never forget this. He had a he had a blue Chevy station wagon. It's all beat up. We put that that neighborhood was terrible. Cubby Bear is right across the street from Wrigley Field, and it was not a good neighborhood at the time. We pull up, 
and it's kind of dark and we're looking around. We don't know if we should go in or not. And this drug bust goes down <laughs> right in front of the car. And we just kind of sit in the car and wait for it to end. And then it, it you know, that ends and goes away. Then we go into the venue. <laughs> um, I don't think, I think I plugged into somebody else's amp. I don't, I brought my guitar and that was it. I think we, we didn't sound check. We just got out there and played. I mean, you, Another thing about 1982, 1983, there weren't many venues that would allow punk rock. Yeah. It was it was like cover bands or theme nights. Um, so I think this was a Sunday night or something, and they just somehow allowed a punk night. And um, we were fortunate to get on the bill completely due to Tracy. It really feels though 81 is like kind of a key year for Chicago punk, right? Like um that yeah. busted at Ozcomp comes out. I think the yeah. Stuff Art single comes out, like yeah. Um, and then of course Afrigies and and um everyone all like everyone's doing records around that point. Like it feels like that was like a really strong scene at, during those years, at least it from- was, but I was so young that it, you know, it's funny, it's not until later when I, you know, went through puberty. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That I would meet some of these folks later. Like I was on tour with with Bob Mould in 1995. We were playing in Boston at this place called the Avalon. Bob Bob's solo shows used to be massive. He used to play to 1,500 people a night. Um, and I, I was opening for him. And, and Vic Bondi was at the show. Vic Bondi from Articles of Faith. And Bob introduced me and I was like starstruck. You know, I was like, that's Vic Bondi, you know? And and it's funny to say it now because in retrospect, that's just 12 years later. Yeah. It's not that much later, but it felt like a lifetime. Um, and Vic pulled me to the side. This is so sweet of him. He pulled me to the side. And um, you know, he had heard of Verboten, although never seen the band. But he wanted to tell me because he knew that I was going to start working with Bob. Bob was going to produce our record. Um, and he just told me stories about how when articles of faith would get in trouble, whether it was like a promoter not paying them, Bob would take them to the Husker van, open up the case and pay them out of the Husker money. Just a lot of things that people don't know about Bob. And he's like, you know, I've known the guy a long time. You produced a record of ours. I want you to know that you're with a really good person and you can trust him. Mm. Um, and sure enough, here we are 26 years later and and he was right. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, to, to, to your point, I mean, it's kind of like when uh, when Joe and Chris interviewed me for You Weren't There, the, the movie about Chicago punk rock. They were like, so what shows did you go to? And I was like, I didn't go to shows <laughs> unless I was unless I was playing in it. You know, it's like um, Chris and Tracy were a little bit older. They went. But Zach and I were pretty much like, you know, that wasn't an option at, at age 11 or 12 for our for our parents, probably. Um, and maybe we were a little bit nervous too. Um, but yeah, Don't so as far me. as like, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I, I, I actually learned a lot from the movie about, about the Chicago scene. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I'd never heard of end result End result are fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, Savage Beliefs, great fucking band. Absolutely. Um, and that was just stuff that I didn't pick up then. I didn't have their records and the, and the movie comes out and you're like, that was really cool what was happening that I didn't know about at the time. Well, it also feels like with Chicago until that movie kind of came out, like a lot of this stuff was just in the realm of like super record collectors. Like obviously the effigies and articles of faith are like, and naked Ray gun and, and you know, like those, those are kind of like on another tier, 
but yeah. like there's so many other bands just bubbling up like and also you guys must have been like the toast of the town a little bit as a, like a super young band like you can imagine like all i wouldn't punks. say toast yeah i would say toast of the town i mean there's footage you can see you can watch it on youtube of course some of it is in sonic highways but there's some footage from cubby bear that's on youtube yeah you can see the audience excited for us and maybe excited about us but also sometimes mocking us and sometimes mm -hmm. like what are these children doing in our and when i say you know these are like 15 year olds saying what are these children doing <laughs> you know like they're they're children too but <laughs> um I, I don't No, it wasn't. I mean, it was really like Dave shining the spotlight on us that brought all the attention on the band. We were only together a year and a half. Of course, our, our friends were excited about it. You know, yeah. the, the different schools that we went to in Evanston, we had a cassette tape and, and we would, we would hand those out or sell them or, and play shows. And, and people were really proud of us and excited because um, it was unusual for young people to play original music. It was un, unusual for young people to play original music that their parents didn't understand. <laughs> and, um, and, and for our age, I think we were actually pretty good. Wait, holy shit. There's a demo. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, we, we made a seven inch when, when the, when the musical came yeah, out yeah. last year, we made it, I'll send it to you. I know the seven inch that came out, but I had no idea there yeah. was an actual demo tape, like from back. The demo then. tape is, is those four recorded songs. And then on the seven inch, we added a song from Cubby Bear. Oh, that's and awesome. It, and you know, it was probably, you mentioned like punk rock influences going to see, this is another thing about Evanston. We had this movie theater called the varsity theater, downtown Evanston. And it was one of those art, art cinemas, you know, mm -hmm. where they, they would mail out the mailer and you'd put it up on your wall and as a calendar. And every night there was different movies, right? Sometimes two nights in a row, but it would be like, uh, you know, Eraserhead and Quadrophenia rock and roll high school. And the kids are all right. Um, and one of the movies that we got to go to that was there was decline of western civilization and that that just put everything in, on, on a clear path for me i mean the song that's on the seven inch from cubby bear is a song called he's a panther and i just lifted that from a song from decline of western. it's a germs <laughs> it's a germ song where darby's just like i mean he's like out of his mind but he's just singing about a panther so i was like oh I'm going to write a song called he's a, cause I'm, I'm 11. <laughs> That's like, awesome. like, what are your, what are your influences? Well, they're very direct at that age. You know, like. I, I think it'd be fascinating to do like a documentary or like a, maybe it's a book about kid punk bands. Yeah. Just because it is such a, it's such a phenomena within punk, right? Like it doesn't feel like there's like obviously dozens and dozens of these things because it's quite rare, but like, you know, like obviously red cross, in yeah in los angeles or what was that what was the indiana band um, um is that the i want to kill a bald eagle the skater the skater kids um God, it came out years after verboten but i remember people going oh it's this it's oh, not that... not not live skull but, um, uh, no it's old skull old skull that's the one it. that yeah, john yeah. parodies on uh one of the best show calls right right, right where he calls right, up yeah. as like the, the adult member of one of the <laughs> incarnations <laughs> of the band oh man niche humor yes absolutely <laughs> that, when i heard that i was like this guy is my comedian like this mm -hmm. this is my steve martin this, this is, is my is world like so yeah. plugged into what i'm into yeah. Yeah. um but yeah like and, and even like more recently there's been you know like obviously super young bands like the snots or the snobs sorry we're a band from texas but it's like 
because you know even in general like this comes up a lot on the show but as a young person going to punk shows it is this kind of like neverland for better or for worse where adults and children are interacting with each other in in like yeah. a, a very unsupervised kind of way like or, or like or less supervised kind of way and that can have you know we've talked about the positives and there's also negatives like when steve mcdonald was on the show he talked about being kidnapped by his 22 year old quote-unquote girlfriend at the time holy shit wow. yeah it's it's a wild story but like it definitely feels like it is a world where you're being exposed to stuff that you would not normally see as you oh as yeah it. no i remember verboten played a show where uh you know, a teenager came up to me and I was sick and I had orange juice on backstage with an orange juice. And this kid came up to me. He's like, can I have some of your orange juice? And I, I just thought that was so weird, but he was, he wanted to make a screwdriver. <laughs> he had vodka. <laughs> I mean, the things you learn later, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, I think we were mainly, I mean, listen, uh, Tracy being female probably went through things that I don't know about. And um, I think that's a completely different, world of manipulation that exists to this day of course um but i, I think we we lucked out um and our, our parents were were involved you know like the demos were recorded um zach's dad norm was in advertising and he was actually trying to pitch the band to do a craft mac and cheese commercial <laughs> i'm not kidding that would they, have been they, amazing i know they they made the commercial with with actor kids but he wanted us to record um to show that we were an actual band and then and then we used that recording to send it into an nbc saturday morning show here in chicago that we ended up going on called kidding around i can't remember if that's on sonic highways too but that's on youtube as well but you know just one of those like morning kids shows and here we come on pretty loud and i remember they cut away from us and they go to like this girl making cookies you know like <laughs> um but you're right. No, I mean, that can be, a, and especially like in the late seventies and early eighties, I mean, there was so little aware awareness and it's a different era for parenting, you know, like, yeah, um, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I think we, we dodged some bullets there, but um, I think it would be interesting. I mean, I, there's, there's a certain innocence and rawness to, to the music that you make when you're that young, but um I've, my favorite part of Verboten is the is the fact that I'm very close friends with all all three of them still. I mean, we yeah, talk yeah. all the time. We text all the time. It's it's amazing how lasting these things that come to you so young and punk are. You know, like all the people that I was in bands with. All these things are just so defining. You know, yeah. like you talk about the fact that it's just a year and a half of your life, but like those 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 times in those bands like obviously you're going through it way younger than i am but like are just so key and it's just so formative like those relationships yeah i don't know if it's this the case for you but for me i liken it to when you hear retired athletes talk about you know they <laughs> they get they get interviewed and they're like oh you must really miss you know hitting the game winning shot or or the touchdown or whatever and they're like i miss i miss the team yeah and 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 the camaraderie the camaraderie is the thing coming out of covid i had uh one of my my first show in a club after the lockdown was may 1st at a place called thalia hall here in chicago and it was just me solo and because of the restrictions it was 20 people in the audience they basically these 20 people rented the room and they rented me yeah and um 
um, it, it, you know, I was happy to have the work. I'm not going to complain about playing for 20 people in a 1200 capacity room, but um, Damien, I got to the venue and I, I got on the stage and I opened up my case and I started setting up and the two sound guys came near me and the, the lighting guy came near me and we started talking about the show. I got goosebumps because I forgot about the camaraderie of playing a show that happened. You know, you think of like, what, what are we missing? We miss so much. We miss our bandmates. We miss the volume. We miss hitting that chord and the crowd cheering. But there's a, the other things actually gave me goosebumps, like walking down to the dressing room and seeing it said stage, you know, with the arrow that yep. gave me goosebumps. It was all oh, the yeah. things that I missed. And I think, um, you know, with verboten, uh, I'm just so fortunate that those three people that I went through this very unusual thing with were all still, you know, um, cause people grow apart and that's okay too, but we've, we've stayed close and I'm very, I feel very fortunate that, uh, they're in my life. Yeah. It shows that you guys were all on the right path way back then because you're all still kind of on it. I've got friends that I don't talk to that was in bands with like 10 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have friends that I don't talk to that I like, but you just don't talk to them. You know, yeah, it's not yeah, out of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's also, I know what you're saying, like, it's amazing how, I know I find like, I take it for granted for some, sometimes like, like even the, like the stuff I don't like about being in a band, now I miss, you know, like being right. away from it. I realize right. like. Waiting for the hotel room to be ready. Oh, like just sitting in a van for hours you know <laughs> yeah, staring at a window yeah. having yeah. literally nothing to do you know yeah. and, and feeling like at peace with that because that's you know or like you know being angry about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, yeah uh, i've taken up meditating and now I, i'm like oh, really I meditate the entire time I'm in the van there you go that's the way to use that time well, i'm ready what got, I'm, you, what got you into that uh i think external dread I think just being terrified about what was happening and, and, yeah. uh, do you have anxiety? Uh, yeah, definitely terrible anxiety. And it helps with that. Yeah. It's, it's really helped me with that. And it's something where I didn't believe in it at all. Yeah. Like I, I found like with many things in my life that I resisted so hard throughout my adult life on some self-destructive thing I'm now coming to and being like, Oh, maybe that's, you know, like be it cannabis a couple of years ago or, or more recently meditating or, yeah. Give, give, you know, eating better through, you know, you know, eat, eating less meat, eating no meat, eating no dairy yeah. and stuff like all this stuff that I was just like, oh, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. Now I'm like, oh, wait, there's a reason people do this stuff. And right. yeah. they thought about it, come to these realizations. So, yeah. Um, but I like, you know, it's it's just part of, I guess, growing up in a band. Right. Like as you 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 get older in this thing and you kind of get wiser at what you're doing and you know and you kind of get it figured out but unfortunately that's uh you know you're like oh if only i had figured it out 10 years earlier that would have made this whole thing a lot easier it's interesting you say that yeah i mean so much of it is like also working out things with your bandmates you know yeah. like what what's comfortable i mean i think with the bob mold band one of the reasons that we do so well the three of us is that we we recognize um how, how different we are yeah. We're three very different people, even though, you know, the Venn diagram is insane musically. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, the language is crazy. It's crazy how quickly we record records without even rehearsing. Um, but, but on a personal level, you know, like who needs space, who does not want, 
this before the show, who needs this. And, and I think we're still learning a little bit about that, but um, we're so communicative that it, it helps a lot, you know, but I, I, I mean, I brought up anxiety because I honestly think there's bands I was in earlier where bandmates had anxiety, but I've been doing this long enough that there really wasn't a title for it. There wasn't yeah. under, an understanding of it. Mm-hmm. I, I used to chalk it up to, oh, well, this person really hates to hurry up and wait, which is the normal pace of touring, which I was comfortable with. Um, but some people just were just so amped up. And I was like, wow, what is, why are they so upset? And I, I looked back, I was like, that's anxiety, <laughs> you know? And I, I maybe could have been more patient, you know, and, and helpful if I had known what was happening with them. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think, I think it takes a special, I've noticed through, through, through doing this podcast, just talking to people for so long now over the years that generally there seems to be a certain type of personality type that feels the compulsion to get up on stage and tends to be the person that also will define themselves as a lead vocalist or lead singer. Um, and it's, it's, it tends to be a certain anxiety that draws people to this thing. And it's just the same sort of anxiety that ends up eating them alive on the road and yeah. i would say them and i mean myself too yeah but just uh, yeah it's it's interesting like talking to people like just seeing my own anxieties reflected being like oh shit yeah that's that's how i feel when i get up on there on that stage yeah. and that's yeah i think that's part of the reason the performance is the way it is you know is because it is uh you know i describe playing shows for me now with cannabis and meditation stuff i think it's a little bit better but like as just having an on-stage nervous don't make it too comfortable no, but, but it's, it's an onstage nervous breakdown. I, I like the chaos you bring. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the time that I got to do Divide and Conquer with you guys, you saw me backstage where I was yeah. like agonizing over memorizing every single word. And I just could not <laughs> like, I couldn't, you know, concentrate on the show. And also yeah. I, to go back to you guys as a band, there is, there is no greater three piece lineup of a band out there. Uh, I, I honestly, you're very sweet. No, I figure all all three of you guys are just masters of what you do, and to see you guys play together as as a as a unit is just yeah, it's like it's it's definitely the the power trio to end all power trios for me. Oh, you're very kind, Damien. Who's Rush? I- <laughs> That's what I say. Who's Rush? And I'm from. I used yeah. to smoke weed with Getty Lee's kid back in high school. So you is know, that right? Junior high. So that's what i was doing while you were making music and influencing people that would ultimately Stop. shape the future of rock and roll i was smoking I, weed. with mr weinrib <laughs> yeah with um, this, this kid I, who, had a, who had a cat in the hat style raver hat on too really yeah <laughs> i want to do it once the... i act like i did it all the time okay I want to talk about the first time I saw you perform. Do you, was, do you remember? <laughs> did we talk about this? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about it now. But obviously, we we jump around like crazy on this show. So believe me, we're um, gonna jump around. Well, Bob told me about you guys. We were, we were both on the same uh, Coachella lineup in mm-hmm. 2009, and yep. Bob's like, "I'm gonna go over and see this band fucked up." Now, my, my wife was with us because uh, it was our 10th wedding anniversary, <laughs> and what only she and I knew is that she was pregnant. Um, maybe maybe two or three months so not super pregnant but pregnant like we knew it and no we weren't telling people yet and we get over to the tent where you guys are playing and it's packed and the energy 
just something happened. I don't remember what it was. You guys weren't on stage yet, but some, something about what the crowd knew about you guys already made me lean over to my wife. And I said, let's take two steps back. <laughs> <laughs> and I was right because you guys came out and I don't think it was 30 seconds before you went all WWE with the razor yeah. and you were, you were bleeding everywhere, but the, the game changer for me, I mean, I love the music. I love the energy, but the game changer for me was when you went into the crowd and the song ended and you, you had the mic after just, you know, you go, Hey guys, I, I just want you to know that I've, I've been tested. And uh, I mean, you were just so like, deadpan and hilarious but also like loving to the crowd it was just this new energy that i wasn't used to and then you you climbed the fucking light rig and i have pictures of that i'm gonna post those pictures oh, i'd love to see those with pictures. this uh with this podcast but um of course it's a 2009 digital camera so it'll be all like pixelated and shit but <laughs> <laughs> but i i that no that was really i mean it was a great year it was like x and no age and you guys my bloody but, Valentine um, headline. My, my bloody Valentine. Yeah, my bloody Valentine. So, so we had played with them before. So I knew what, what what was happening. But my wife had never seen them, and she loves Loveless. So we went over there, and of course they open up. They open with that. What is that? Only shallow. Yeah. And um, and she's like, I can't believe this. And I go, you know what? Only half the PA is on. Yeah. She's like, what are you talking about? And somehow it was just perfect. It was the beginning of the second verse. The second half of the PA came on and it was like, <laughs> and she was like, oh my, it was, it was euphoric. It was euphoric. It was so much fun. Um, but no, I, once I saw you perform, I was like this band, I am in love. I love oh, this band. Thank you. Thank you. That was that that day was so surreal. I remember actually afterwards meeting Bob for the first time and I couldn't see him. I had blood and, 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 <laughs> and, uh, and sunscreen in my eyes. And I'm like, and he's like, can I get a photo with you? And I'm like, sure. What's your name? And he's like, Bob mold. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what's trying to name? clear up my eyes. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. Oh my God, Bob mold. Yeah. What the fuck? Oh man. It was, uh, it was, uh, yeah. David Hasselhoff was there backstage. What? Wasted. Yeah, I remember. Really, I'm sitting in, in Turbo Negro's dressing room, and they're like, "Look, there's David Hasselhoff," and we look out, and he's just like wasted, like chilling with the outside. burger. With the he wasn't even with the burger. I made the burger motion. You did he, that, yeah. I know, but he was actually making out with someone, which makes it even more. It looked like he was oh. eating a hamburger in the process, but it was, yeah, yeah, it was a uh, yeah that that was a that was a really fun, weird, surreal like weekend. You guys absolutely killed. I mean, it was really just like. For for me, seeing a band that I was not familiar with at all just absolutely kill. I mean, it was so much fun, and it's like it's like this is my music, you know. This is yeah, it, yeah. It, was, it, it felt amazing. What was your? Do you remember? Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go on. I was gonna say, do you remember when we played Primavera and took took the took the van ride back? Yeah, no one no one was happy with Bob and I that morning. <laughs> You remember what I said? Do you remember what I said at the end? No, what did you think? So you so you're sitting right behind Bob. I'm in the front with Bob, and he's just leaning back talking to you for 45 fucking minutes. You guys, I mean, not even a 
it was like two 14 year olds, not even a <laughs> breath, not even a breath was taken. It's just wrestling, 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 wrestling for 45 minutes. Your bandmates are asleep in the back. Oh yeah. And then, and then we pull up to the, to the uh, airport and you guys like, like that. And I just turn around to your band and go, what do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> And they they all fell out. It was so much fun. They're like, ah, they uh, definitely tuned me out. They can. I think I think I'm probably at this point like a white noise machine to them, yeah, like, yeah. literally, where I just like yeah. just put a, them a, a recording of your podcast is what they go to sleep to. Oh it's... yeah, I'm, I can guarantee you one thing: they don't listen to my podcast because <laughs> they get a podcast every day. Yeah, they get they yeah, get they yeah. get the they get also get the cliff notes on tour. Like I try and bring them all up to speed on every episode that I've recorded and what I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I, I really do feel like I'm in college though. Like every episode I yeah. learn more and more and I put like pieces together. And so I feel it's my duty to share that with people, whether they want to hear it or not. Like I'm like I'm like a religious person spreading the good word. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I you're well, very sweet to do that. Well, where'd you, what was your first concert you ever went to? Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick. Wow. I was, I was 10 years old. My dad, so my dad, my parents divorced when I was four and my dad, you know, again, like the seventies parenting thing, I think there was pluses and minuses to this, but he would basically take me along to parties, which sounds incredibly inappropriate, except that he, he never drank. So he was sober the whole time. It was mildly inappropriate. I mean, I was around a lot of like partying with adults, which was just kind of like, you know, any any kids here? No, Dad, do you know how to get a babysitter? <laughs> like, but that said, anyways, um, uh, he might not have been able to afford one. I mean, we we weren't we didn't have a lot of money, but mm. we're at this party, and uh, this guy says to my dad, "So you're 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 going to Cheap Trick on Friday." And I look over at my dad and he goes like this to the guy and just kind of nods, you know? Oh yeah. yeah, Oh yeah. So you're not going. My dad's like, no, nah, I'm not going to cheap trick. We we're walking out of the party. I was like, dad, are we going to cheap trick on Friday? And he was adamant. No, we are not going to cheap trick. We went to cheap trick. It was my first show. The opening band was a band called off Broadway, which was a rock band from Chicago Oh, that had a they had a minor hit called "Stay in Time," which I still think is a great rock song. Check it out, "Stay were, in Time." Were they kind of like the same sort of power pop kind of? Very much. Oh, awesome. oh yeah. You can tell that they might have even ripped each other off. Like, oh wow. There's okay. a there's a song by by Off Broadway called uh, "Full Moon Turned My Head Around" that opens exactly like "Hello, Hello There, Ladies and Gentlemen." Hello oh, there awesome. by by Cheap Trick. Yeah, like same voicing and everything. But but the, but it was a great double bill. Uh, and off probably were great but man cheap trick came out it was at the granada theater which doesn't exist anymore it's right where loyal university is in, in chicago on sheridan road um it's probably like a i don't know 1600 capacity theater and this is on the all shook up tour i'm 10 years old we're probably in like 15th row not bad he got he got decent tickets yeah and they just i mean it, it, you see footage of the band at the time and it's like, you know, Rick comes out with the five neck guitar and he comes, they do day tripper and he comes out with a Beatles guitar. And then he comes out with a, a Rick Nielsen guitar. Like it's actually shaped like him. Um, I mean, you're just watching this freak show with great songs and Robin Zander singing like a God. And then they encored with uh, highway to hell. 
Oh, whoa. By your band, your first show. <laughs> my, my first show by yeah. ACDC. Yeah. Uh, they, but, uh, they were just, they were on fire and like everything changed. I know that's cliche. It's totally corny to say, but like everything in my life changed after that. Was was he doing like a Bon Scott vocal? Do you remember? Like it was so Robert, long oh, ago. <laughs> Robin Zander. Robin Zander to this day can sing your I mean it's it's mind blowing. Yeah. It's mind blowing. He's like 64, uh drinking beer, smoking cigarettes, and he just sings like you can't believe. Um, yeah, he could do anything at that point. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it was an amazing show. So that's that was my first one. Um, they're kind of like the anti-kiss when you kind of think about it, you know, like if like kiss is chaotic evil, they're like chaotic good, you know, like the, the but like just sort of the same sort of approach to it where it's like so much larger than life, what they're doing. So it was like a young person. They actually toured together. They toured together in 76, which is really early for Cheap Trick. It might have been their first record. Bob Mould saw them and I saw that right? tour. It might have been. Well, yeah. Was, was that closest to to um, his hometown that I'm spacing on right yeah, now? Yeah, like he he uh, uh, he's from um, upstate New York and uh, Syracuse, right? Or, or um, no, no, it's not Syracuse, Albany. Or no, what? He, he, I can't believe I'm it's a small it. town. I've yeah. actually been there with him, uh, and I can't remember the name of it. But um, yeah, his friends would drive up. He went and saw like Aerosmith, and but he's Rush. Uh, Bob. He's, he saw a teenage head and Rush up there. Yeah, he said. Did he see? He said he talked. Uh, it was his French class at school. That he, yeah. they, they, they talked into going up there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He, he saw kiss and cheap trick. Of course he thought cheap trick were better, yeah. you know, che but cheap trick had, I mean, Rick was kind of cartoonish. Like kiss was cartoonish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're right. Like kiss was more like God of thunder and, and cheap trick were more, you know, dream police, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> um, at the time I love both. I, I've grown to really kiss does not stand the test of time. You know what does stand the test of time is their their uh, their books. The Peter Chris yeah. autobiography is endlessly, unintentionally humorous. Um, yeah. It's a classic. So, the audiobook uh, version of that was, I think, a classic. There's movie. an audiobook. He I'm read it. Sure, that was the one, or maybe oh I'm thinking God. of once again a Worcester parody of it. Oh, could be, could be as yeah. well. But I'm pretty yeah. sure we listened to it on tour one time. Oh my God! And the Ace Fraley one. They're just so they lack so much self awareness. <laughs> um and anyways yeah cheap trick that's that's those are my guys i mean i it's funny i on the first bob mold tour i did the drummer was brendan canty from fugazi and yeah. brendan and i would go on these long walks and talk about music and he had this thing that we would not argue about but we'd have really long discussions about it's, it still comes up occasionally these days but he's like what's the best american rock band and i just never thought about that and, you know, he, he goes with a wider scope. He goes with like the dead and Aerosmith and the beach boys. But for me, I'm like cheap trick and REM. And, and I, it's, it's not really even close for me. Those are the two bands, you know, but it's yeah. about time. It's about when you hear the music and wh yeah. what age yeah, you are and when you fall in love and when you fall in love with music and all that, those kind of things. But um, it's an interesting thought. I, I'm not a big, you know, like list guy that's big on social media, like top 10, whatever. And I never join in on that, but it, to simplify my my music taste, uh, Cheap Trick and REM are, are where it's at. And Psychosin from New Jersey. And Psychosin. How <laughs> how did I forget Psychosin? They always people always leave them off the list, and it's always so sad. You it's know, a truly, great reminder. Thank yeah, you, truly Damian. an American treasure, <laughs> and things like that. It's funny. Like I'd be interesting, and I guess Brendan talking to Brendan about that, it gets to the point. Like I've always heard, 
and what well, I haven't always heard, I'm kind of formulating this new theory about DC and their enjoyment of things that are weirder. Like I always heard that the misfits never went over well in DC. Interesting. Know? And it's because it yeah. was always it's, like their pop. Yeah. When it's also spooky and weird. Oh and yeah. You know, they're yeah. putting a- affectations on it. So I wonder if like, cause you know, they always talk about the nuge and loving Ted Nugent, you know, but they never hear about them loving kiss. You know, like when you talk to the Melvin's people or you talk to, you know, yourself, like talk to people, they like, they talk about loving kiss back then. You know, all those DC people love it. So I wonder if the kiss was also mm. on that kind of like, ah, oh, it's too zany. Get this out of here. We want the nuge where it's just keeping it real rock. God, <laughs> Back so then much, when it was still acceptable yeah, to like them. <laughs> yeah. So much of that stuff has not aged well. It's crazy. No, but um, no, I was, I was a member of the kiss army. I mean, when I was seven years old and I was like, I saw, you know, what was it? phantom at the park or whatever it was called the yeah the, they, the amazing movie <laughs> but you know i was seven and i was like hey oh yeah you know? um yeah well they had comic books you know like right it's, it's yeah. perfectly marketed to gene to gene simmons yeah i mean as much as he's like the trump of rock music um he, at the time he was a brilliant marketing mind you mm-hmm. know it was like he got it you know horror movies comic books rock and roll and that's the play you don't play for the cool people, which is the thing that all bands try and do. Yeah. You play for the little kids. So then yeah. you're like Limp Bizkit, and all of a sudden people are talking about you're like, you're good all these years later, or your kids. <laughs> right. and people, you know, because they aged into it. Yeah. Exactly. You hit them young yeah. enough, and then it's just their nostalgia. So they think it's their Beatles when they get older. It's it's the happy, it's the happy meal. It's the McDonald's happy meal. Yeah. Yeah. Don't <laughs> don't be cool. Be be, be for the kids. <laughs> they get this longevity thing out yeah. of this. Uh, yeah. What were some of the show bands that you remember playing with back then? Like who are some of the bands that like obviously you're 10 years old, but like what are some of the bands that you played with that you that stuck out to you and in, in verboten? I mean. I mean, it really that one Cubby Bear show was the only time that we kind of rose to that level of bands that that were recognizable. It was always just we were always paired with bands that, you know were completely different because there just weren't that many original punk rock bands that we knew. Yeah. Um, I, you know, before Verboten, my dad was teaching um, film classes at Northwestern University. And again, this is one of those, like he took me to a party thing, but he took me to a party of these students of his, grad students, film grad students that had a band called The Cleaning Ladies. It was spelled L-A-D-Y-S. Okay. And, and, and we're, we're there and they had a guitar. I just picked up the guitar. I started playing and the lead singer of the band is like, what? You know, he saw me playing. So he wrote a song for us called give up on my girl, where it's me and the singer, John Anderson arguing over the same woman, which is a really funny premise. And we shot, we shot a video for it. That's actually, that's on YouTube too, but um, I see that I've never seen that on YouTube. I've seen, I did a lot of, I did a lot of uh, shows with cleaning with the cleaning ladies. My dad would drive me to the bar and I'd join in for like a who song with them. And we do give up on my girl and maybe not a lot, maybe like two or three, but. Um, did they, they record at all the cleaning ladies? They won like the MTV. What was it? Like the, I don't know what it was called, but it was like when anybody could send in a tape, you know, like the basement tapes or something. Yeah. They won that. And then John Anderson, the lead singer went on to, work for uh for uh um he made smile he made the smile dvd for for uh yeah not the beach boys but just for wilson for um 
when you did that smiley smile tour or whatever or the yeah oh that's so weird yeah so he he went on to like do all these kind of amazing video things but um i think he i think he won a grammy for that wait was was there a song called you won't french kiss she won't french kiss yes yeah i've got that seven inch no way yeah absolutely (laughs) that's why you said it i'm like oh my god i think this sounds so familiar but like it's a good it's a good video too they made great videos Oh, that's so awesome! Wow, yeah. I got I to really listen to that single. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, and stuff. It, it, it. So, where did, when you started getting older? Like, obviously, it's probably like a good four or five years before you're able to start going to shows by yourself, right? Yeah, and I, I kind of stepped away from music for a little bit. It wasn't until maybe like junior year of, of high school that I started to really pick up the guitar again. I think, mm. you know, I, I got interested in basketball and. I don't know. I think just I didn't have that support. Like one great thing about one of the great things about my verboten bandmates were they were so supportive. They were just really encouraging of me to create and bring things to the band. And then when set was gone, I was like felt a little rudderless. And so I attached myself to, you know, just like growing up and being a kid and also playing basketball. Mm-hmm. So then in high school, I started playing in bands again. That's not true. Yeah, sophomore year, freshman, sophomore year, I was I was playing out again. Um, but again, like church gymnasiums or something. It was not like for oh, I did play batteries not included in in uh uh in high school, which was a, a bad Chicago club. Um but it wasn't until college when I went to Baltimore that I started gigging heavily acoustically. You know, Baltimore is known for their row houses. Mm-hmm in 89 90 91 it was row bars so you couldn't there weren't that many places to even have a band because it would the bar was so tiny so i played with another acoustic guitarist and a bassist and we would just play again rem smiths bob mold um and a lot of like the you know the kind of alternative rock of the of the time that was being played on whfs what was the scene kind of like uh at that point when you when you got to, like maybe going back to you know high school like in chicago like were you going to shows at that point other like not necessarily playing them but even seeing other bands play not not really cool shows i mean i i love the who i would go see the who i'd go see cheap trick go see you too um i wasn't really going to to smaller oh i did see the beastie boys when i was 16 at the aragon <laughs> the first tour I, oh and, and i did my stepdad was doing a conference in europe in 87 when i was 16 and i got to see sonic youth on the uh, sister tour oh that's the yeah. best record that was uh red red fabrique in switzerland uh, just i mean you want to talk about a show that just you're just like what what is happening this is they were so far beyond anything i had experienced before and and they were so good that it, it was it, it shook you you know it was like for days i was just like i just experienced something I've never experienced before. Yeah. Was there an opener on that tour? Do you know? Yeah. But I don't remember the name of the band, but they, 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 they brought this contraption that was at the front of the stage where they hung sheets of metal that they were banging on. It was like oh, a sheet whoa. metal. It was very percussive. Yeah. I don't remember the name of the band, but I'll never forget that experience. Yeah, um, I wonder who that would, they would probably have someone really cool or interesting on that tour too. I wonder, I'm going to look into that. Who would that would have yeah, been? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder who it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'll, I'll let you know. I'm going to research it. I'm going to try and ask, see if anyone's got only flyers. Yeah, I can it would be it. cool. Yeah. It'd be cool to track down some music and be like, Oh my God. That was... Well, it's such a pivotal kind of like, 
point again in music, like that kind of 87 pre Nirvana, like yeah. before things, every, everything gets formulated and kind of codified. And this is like this kind of music where I guess it's just broadly college rock or, or pig fuck music in the case of Sonic Youth, I guess sometimes called. All right. Hey, really well, have like... you heard of that genre, pig fuck music? No. no. That was a, uh, I guess, a, a poorly named genre that was a <laughs> New York music critics tried to slap on it like Sonic Youth, Pussy Galore, The Swans. Oh. Um, <laughs> didn't didn't really catch on. No, it's terrible. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think anyone want like I don't think anyone wants to be called pig fuck music <laughs> or like, say it. No, I think like of, of all the genres that people don't want to get called that they get called like emo, you know, or yeah, grunge, yeah. you know. Yeah. But pig yeah. fuck music really like you'd want to be called emo after being called pig fuck music. Well, an emo and grunge there's something about those words that sound like what they're describing in pig fuck does not make me think of Sonic Youth at all. No. 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 Maybe some other bands in the genre. I wonder if Early yeah. White Zombie classifies as pig fuck music. Hmm. That could be that could be in there too. That's a full circle thing. Jay Jay Zombie was uh, the guitarist and writes the accused when we played in 1983. Whoa. Yeah, That's Jay Younger. A- Jay Younger was in writes the accused, and then he he ended up in in White Zombie. Writes the accused is a fantastic band, and also Tracy took photos. I think in their seven inch too. She may have, yeah. I think she got a credit on the old research machine Discord. Is that right for that one as well? Oh, yeah. that's awesome! I didn't know that. Yeah, like they're uh, they're a band that once again, like you were talking about, like they're obviously a little bit more well known than some of the obscurities. Like they get lost in the sands of time, but yeah, you know, like uh, another band that doesn't really get brought up. Like it feels like almost like Chicago hardcore kind of peaks around this eighty two eighty three period, and then there's kind of like this sort of like dip in i don't know popularity obviously you're very young at this point too and i'm looking at it from far away but it seems like that's something that's echoed everywhere around 84 there's like a real kind of like drop off you know where people like kind of get into different types of music or changing well and rights of the accused rights of the accused continued they became more of like a thrash metal band i saw them at cubby bear in probably I mean, I was I was not old enough to be in there, so I was probably nineteen. So maybe it was like 90, 1990. Yeah, and it was like Wes Kid was in the band. Wes Kid went on to form Triple Fast Action, and then he became a manager, a, ba- a band manager. Uh, Brian St. Clair was the drummer. Um, he went on to play in Local H, and now he's the stage for the last twelve to fifteen years. He's been the stage manager for Cheap Trick. <laughs> so there's all these it's funny right yeah like there's so many small world things but um yeah rights to the accused kept going and you know mike i think it's mike o'connell i think is his name mm-hmm. he just had so much energy he he was bartending at thurston's he was bartending at at delilah's um and he's in all these bands and it was he he was a force of nature and i think they should have gotten recognized although it's one of those bands where like, I, I actually couldn't name a song, but I, but I remember the shows, they were a great live band. You know, yeah. it was like, they, they knew how to bring it. And, um, uh, but, but that's, that's also the nature of music. I'm not one of those people who's like, Oh, they should have been huge or they should have. It's that always happens. You know, it's like, there's always great music that doesn't get recognized or doesn't connect or whatever, but I'm just thankful it exists. And I, yeah. I'm thrilled when I find it. Yeah, like what separates yeah. the off-Broadways from being cheap trick? You know, it's just like right. circumstance and timing and, and you know, like who knows? But that's what, uh, 
that's the thing that's amazing about music is that you have all these what ifs you know yeah. like like what if dave grohl hadn't gone to that show as a young kid and seen you yeah. play like yeah things might have happened differently like you know like who would have wound up drumming in nirvana like who would have you know foo fighters are like arguably the biggest rock band on the planet right now like totally I, yeah you know, like who, who could be bigger at this point so i know um you know like it, it's it's amazing how these what ifs kind of play out. and i think that's part of the fun like this is van talk to me like i sit up there with jonah and i'm like yeah what if what if this <laughs> record like what if hr had dropped his comp tape in yeah. in like early early like the mid 80s like he'd planned like how would that change things like what, what would right. be different oh man it is really like such a a path of consequence you know like of uh you know things that you can't even map out in or or or, or predict that just these little twists of fate that just send something in in one direction and um yeah that's a beautiful thing i also like I was talking to somebody last night um, about how I think it's so cool that, and this is, I'm going to be delicate with, with the vocabulary, but a band that is maybe not great, that makes a great record. Mm. I love that that possibility exists. Oh yeah. And, 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 and I'm going to bring up an example and I mean this in the most loving way because I don't, I, I love the band. I don't know if they're great, but I do. For me, Arc Welder has a record called Pole that I think is just like one of the best '90s rock records I've I've heard. I mean, top to bottom, it is amazing. I gotta hear this um, thing. But Arc Welder, yeah, Arc Pole, Wel it's Pole. it's fucking amazing. Right there. Um, <laughs> they no, they they played a show in Minneapolis. I want to say four or five years ago, and. The promoter got a hold of me and asked if if you know I would open up solo. And I was like, I will I'll start driving right now. <laughs> like, wow. I will do anything to be on this bill to hear them play those songs again. Cause I used to go to Lonjax and see them play. And they I was just like, this band is is amazing. Yeah, there's also like there's something special about those bands, you know, like that that don't find that greater next level success where like just seeing them makes them all the more powerful. The fact yeah. that they still have that kind of, you know. Yeah, and I, I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't blown away by their show. I just love that record. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I, I, I think it's so cool that those three people got into a studio with an engineer and created this thing that will last forever in my collection. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's just so great. And and they, but I don't. I'm not sitting here going, how come they weren't huger? Yeah. I kind of get it, but that record is just phenomenal. Yeah. I don't know. I like those little things, those little like, yeah, humanity. You can't predict these things. You can't, it's not going to be the way you see it every time. You know, it's going to be very unpredictable. Well, yeah. Like, you know, obviously I respect the genius of this person the whole way through. And I like, but I didn't get PJ Harvey until her second last record, you know, like they just interesting. Uh, really? Yeah, like her, I, I, her songs are brilliant. I can see why. Yeah they're yeah. brilliant but then she did and I'm, I'm blanking on the name it's like a very long name but it's the second last record she did um i'll fix that in the intro is just unbelievable <laughs> like to me not, it's just not, like not the one about dc no there's a song in it about dc it's like hope benefit project like there's yeah, songs yeah, yeah. about different monuments all over yeah um the world i think 
Interesting. And that's the only record I don't get by her. That's what a lot of people have told me. And I saw her live on that record. And yeah. I was like, it's the only time I've ever seen an artist. So when she they... came out with a marching band? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I saw the only, that. Yeah. The only time I've ever seen an artist where they've been like, okay, here's an old song. And everyone goes, yay. And I'm like, no, more new stuff. Yeah. Just the new record, please. Just the new one. She could do anything as far as I'm concerned. She's She's made enough great records that i you know i go to all the time that i don't even care that i don't get that record because she's great yeah see that's the thing i find amazing about music and that you can have like like you're saying there's always potential for everyone to make something that also just connects with you like yeah. after after all this time like being like you know and there's certainly you know art a lot of artists that i love where there's just like one record in the catalog where that just like in the middle of the catalog sometimes you know where yeah. it's just like oh shit that's the one that's the yeah. one that hits me yeah um what where did you meet bob for the first time i was a super fan um i saw him on the black sheets of rain tour for the first time and then not long after that he started touring acoustic mm. and there was a guy that had it was like a lighting guy that I met on some other show who knew Bill Ramey, who was tour managing for Bob at the old 930 club. So this is probably like 91, probably okay. like 20. And I got to meet Bob then. And then I was, and then what I would do <laughs> sounds, this is, this sounds pretty stalkerish, but I would collect the local press that Bob would do. Right like in a stack because yeah. before the internet you do an interview you never see that yeah, never see it yeah so i would collect those and then go to sound check and bring them to them but try to be really you know quiet and and respectful and i think i did that enough that i earned his trust and so he knew who i was and then it got to the point where if i showed up at sound check he and his partner would make sure I was on the guest list. And so it became a very friendly thing, but I never brought up my music on purpose because I, uh, as a young musician, I started recording more when I was like 20, 21. And one of my friends, dad said, you know, I just happened to go to school with this guy named Al Teller who runs MCA records. If you ever want to give him music, he will absolutely listen to it once <laughs> you know like you got one shot, one shot. And, and what he said this actually really resonated with me he said make sure you're ready make sure that's what you want him to hear and i felt the same once he said that to me i was like i'm i more important than al teller for me is bob mold so i'm not going to do that until i'm ready yeah and then in 1994 i made the the uh, record with Alice and Jason and Alice and Woodshed, which is just me on acoustic guitar and Alice and cello and me singing. But it's not, it's sort of like people saw it. They, they see the cover and they're like, Oh, it's a folk record. And I'm like filtered through my bloody Valentine. You know, it's like wall of sound acoustic, everything's super compressed. The, the cellos are distorted. You know, it's like in your face. Um, and uh, the promoter here and one of the promoters here in Chicago jam productions had three Bob solo shows coming up and they're like, they suggested Jason and Allison and Bob's like, Oh, tell me about Jason and Allison. And they start describing me and Bob's like, 
I know who Jason is. <laughs> <laughs> He's the guy who comes to all the sound checks, you know. So, um, yeah, so then we ended up opening up those three shows. After the first sound check, he asked us to do the rest of the tour. So we ended up doing a whole East Coast tour with him. We got home from that tour. He left a message on my machine, which I still have to this day, that says uh, he would like to be considered for producing the next record. That's amazing. Yeah. It, it, it's it's you bring up a good point there there's like a you know like obviously we're all familiar with the term punisher at this point and it's there's like a, a good type of punisher and a bad kind of punisher you know but you kind of have to be a little bit of the punisher to get in there with the bands that you like you know and i say this as as a as not always a good punisher i was sometimes a terrible punisher you know of different artists but like it it kind of takes that i don't know like uh that drive you know as a young person you know like i was the guy showing up at the shows for sound checks talking to the band helping load in, yeah. or yeah just being around just to kind of diligence like, yeah diligence. it was like and it's that type of fan that of course winds up being in bands and i think that the 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 most productive way to do that and i think I'm, this is a phrase that i've heard bob use which is i put myself within his sight lines mm -hmm. you know what i mean like yeah I didn't like push anything or ask too early or ask ever maybe. But what I did is I made sure that I was present and within his vision so that if, uh, if he was thinking about it, he would think, Oh, maybe this, and that's, a, I think that's an important distinction because you, I've had people that are just way too aggressive with that. And it's a little bit like, it's good to be ambitious, I think, but it's also good to prove to people that you're a good hang yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, like exactly some people ask me like how do you how do you get all these gigs how do you play bass with all these these people and i i i i'm i stress this i'm not that amazing of a bass player but what i try to be is a good band member i try to be someone who's in the van or on the airplane or whatever backstage and i'm i'm serving the the band serving the the greater thing that we're doing, which is being a, a touring band that's playing every night and trying to get through all the chaos and the, and the hurdles that happen, even when you're a functional band, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, that's my goal. I, I know that I've not done that every time, but um, I like to think that I uh, am in tune with my bandmates and try to be respectful of their space. I don't think I've ever done that. <laughs> You know what? As lead singer, you don't have to. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done that. That goes back to that special kind of damage it takes to define yourself as a lead singer. <laughs> back to the word punisher. Yeah, back to the word punisher. Back. There's a certain type of type that you're seeing that begins to form after uh, after much conversation. That's funny. So, um, Jason, the beloved Punisher. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the <laughs> I and I definitely at times was like you know, and still at times am, am uh, you know, at Tim Meadows. I, I started telling him a story this past weekend, and yeah. he was basically like, "Yeah, cool story, bro," and like walked off in the middle of the story. <laughs> he doesn't know. He didn't know who you were. No, and then later on, after I performed, he came up and was like, "Oh man, that was awesome," and then we cleared it up. Nice. But like, it was definitely. I was like, "Oh shit, I still have the Punisher in me." I like it's nice to know Tim? that I'm still in touch with that. Do you know? Do you know that I I painted Tim's apartment in Chicago? 
Whoa, no. So, so through this designer that I was working, so I have a small painting company in, in, uh, in Evanston and Tim has a place in Chicago and through this designer, I got this job and we just, we just hit it off. Like we just, we, our conversation was, was good and like good vibes. And so when I came up with this totally stupid concept for a, a short video called the sexiest elbows in rock music yeah. did i ever send this to you <laughs> no but i was i was researching you and i found this and i'm like i gotta fucking see this video so i asked him i was like is there any way you would portray my manager in this video and he's like yeah i'll do it and he's great he's so funny in it but tim tim's awesome i saw him i mean maybe less than a year ago um, that dude is so he's got great taste in music amazing taste in music he loves chris bell like he's he's Whoa. yeah the dude has like his collection is insane that's that's how the conversation started because i'm in his house i'm like I, i'm sorry i can't help but notice like and he also has like pictures of i don't think i'm giving away too much here but um his pictures of like bob and ray like old school comedy records and stuff he's a real student of of comedy and of music and mm -hmm. just like one of the sweetest guys Very and nice, um dude. it's funny because he he was texting me uh he was supposed to shoot this thing in la but covid thing happened this was last fall and so he just took off to hawaii to just get away i think it was being paid for and he sent me a picture and it was like just just a window treatment and I'm like, wow, Hawaii looks amazing, dude. Because, <laughs> you know, if he sent like the beach picture, it'd be like rubbing it in, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. So it's just it was... like, just, just a window treatment, you know? Yeah, like take a picture uh, of I'm in McDonald's. Hawaii. Yeah. Nothing's here. Nothing's here. It's funny how many of those, you know, like obviously Fred, I think Fred's in, se in Sexy's Elbows and Rock and Roll yeah. as well, too, right? Like, yeah. um, and so, sorry, what is what, Sexy's Elbows in music? Sexiest elbows in rock music. Rock music. That's I need. Yeah. I need to see this thing because there's one. There's one main one that did really well, right? So uh, Jimmy Jimmy Fallon premiered it on the Tonight Show website. It went viral, and then the Onion approached me. They're like, "If you want to do more, we'll do them with you." So we shot two more that I think are really good. They've got like Frank Black and Sharon Van Etten, Todd Berry, Michael Cerverus, Jeff Tweedy, Michael Shannon. Um, but they just for some well we released them right after Trump got elected and I think people were just like not yeah they didn't feel like laughing and I don't no understand one that laugh. but but there's three of them yeah there's three sexiest elbows on uh, John Worcester of course is amazing in the first one uh, Bob's hilarious in it um, yeah we had fun doing those but that's so funny you posted that picture of Tim Meadows on your on your Instagram and I was like oh my god I love it that those two guys are hanging out. Yeah, no, it, it, he is, uh, you know, once again, like I said, great taste in music. He's, of course, at a Dinosaur Junior summer camp. And it made me feel really good because he told a story about interviewing Jay Maskus where Jay gave him nothing. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's a universal experience. <laughs> He's better now. Oh, now. definitely. Definitely. Yeah, and, yeah. and like, to be fair to Jay, like, if you get him talking about something he wants to talk about, he'll talk, you know? Yeah. So yeah. better bring up Degrassi. <laughs> <laughs> The one thing, <laughs> the one thing. Well, and, then you, and then you mentioned uh, Imperioli. He came to he came to a bunch of Bob Pollard shows that I was playing on, and then it ended up we we were playing the Bowery, and Bob had Michael Imperioli's band open for us. Yeah, they're pretty good, eh? They're good. It's like indie rock, like yeah. full on. Like you can tell he studies. You know, it's like I want to say like 
if Cracker met Pavement or something. I don't know. Like it's straight up indie, you know, it's like, but it's good. But I, I have to tell you, we're sound checking at the Bowery. This is the Bob Pollard band right after yeah. God of My Voices broke yeah. up. And Michael Imperioli, Imperioli walks in with one of the other dudes from the Sopranos, one of the big dudes, <laughs> the guy who lives with the uncle. I forget his name, but he's. Uh, oh, man, it's been so long since I watched. You can picture it, the really big guy. Yeah. They both walk in. You know, those Bowery, the Bowery has those pin lights. So they, they're carrying guitars and then two of them walk in and just stop. And I'm, I'm sound checking. I'm like. I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> and I know one of those guys, you know, like, no, Michael Imperioli is a really nice guy, really uh, present, you know, like he's, yes. he doesn't, he doesn't carry a stardom around. He's, he's, he's a, he's a fan and he's a, he's a, he, he truly loves music. A deep music head too. Like someone yeah. who like is very passionate about this stuff, which is, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I find that's, that's the thing that, you know, ultimately that's why I do this podcast. I find that's like, as soon as you get people that are like that, and you can relate to them about music it's like you yeah. can have a conversation with anybody yeah absolutely like unless they're a real nightmare then it becomes hard. and you don't want to do it <laughs> then you don't want to do it no exactly <laughs> you're just like yeah let's just, let's just steer clear of this whole thing you know it's it's also funny how you know you bring up worcester someone you play with in in well two bands right just just the two right super chunk when you're doing super chunk stuff and bob bob pollard bob oh bob pollard of course he does bob pollard too i totally uh He's on all the split single records. And he's also, of course, your own stuff. Bob Mould, Super Chunk. We we backed, did we back Doug Gillard once in New York? I think maybe it was just for a couple songs. I mean, we've done, we played the Pretenders together. That's amazing. For one show. Speaking of punk, uh, OG. Oh my God, she is. And her guitarist, James Walborn. The two of them were just like other level. I learned a lot from that. We were fortunate that we got to do two rehearsals because that was kind of like for us rock fantasy camp, you know, like <laughs> hanging out with Chrissy Hind. Okay. And she liked us. She we, we ended up going out to dinner every night together and two hour dinners. And um like you say, be a that, good that was, Oh my God. Surreal, surreal. Her stories. She has one of the best autobiography rock autobiographies oh. I've ever read. Yeah, for sure. She was in the damned. Yeah. Yeah. She was in the clash <laughs> and she has pictures to prove it. Like, it's yeah. not like just her talking like, no, there she is. You know, like, yeah. It's no, she's in every conversation about that, that era. Like every, she's, she's yeah. present for all of it. Yeah. And she really is that charming, but also kind of like she's dominant, but in a, in a charming way, like yeah. she's in charge for sure all the time, but you want, you kind of want her to be. And then she starts singing and you're just like, forget it. Like, I, is there a better voice? I mean, she's magical. And like you said about Tracy, you know, like uh, she has to be tough, like for what she had to yeah. put up with to get to, totally. you know, this industry. Like, and that's in the book too. She, she goes well, into like some yeah. of the horrific details of what she had to put up with in that book. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. I know. And she, what she handles with grace. Yeah. But, um, no, it's, it's a good point about Tracy. I mean, I think Tracy, it was coming from all angles. First of all, she was adopted. She's adopted into a conservative family. This is the story I wanted to tell you. So Dave does the Sonic Highways thing. And then we, we ended up making a musical about Verboten. Not my idea, but this guy approached me <laughs> and I thought it was absurd, but he's like, I'll write the book and you wrote the, write the music. Well, we worked on it for five years and it ended up I can't believe this, but it was like really successful. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and, and exciting. Thing. Yeah. So 
we're halfway through making this thing and Tracy comes into town, I think because the foos were playing and she wanted to see her cousin. And we go out to breakfast and she's like, Jason, I just heard this, this verboten story that I knew, never knew from back in the day. I was like, please tell me. So her dad, again, she's adopted into this conservative family. Her dad is in the kitchen reading the paper in 1983, looks at his wife and says, honey, have you heard of this musical act called the Dead Kennedys? And Tracy's mom goes, yeah, I've, I've heard of them and they've been to this house. <laughs> and, you know, he takes off his glasses and he goes, what? <laughs> Tracy's mom goes, Tracy, Tracy brought them to the house. And the second time she brought them to the house, they took a cab up to your country club. They swam in the pool. And they had lunch on your account. <laughs> it's a true story. It's a true story. I mean, Tracy was insane. She was like fearless. She was fearless. And so Tracy tells me that story. And I immediately called, you know, the playwright. I was like, you have to fucking put this in the music. He's like, I know I can't write something that good. And it's true. You know, like, yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good example of how special she is. And um, uh, I don't know how we got on that track. No, we're, well, we're talking about just what it takes to be tough and to be in yeah. this, like, you know, and, and I guess fearless too. Right. Yeah. But, um, and I guess like what I wanted to get, like obviously you and Worcester playing in all these projects together. It's amazing how many, you know, brought up Todd Berry who played yeah. drums in a, an incredible uh, was chieftain's name of the band. What's the I'm blanking on his band that he played in. No, I, in now, Florida. Yeah, he played in this band that he played on one of their LPs. They have a few records, but the LP he plays on is awesome. It sounds oh, like, really? to me, it sounds like a Flying Nun record. I might be the only person on earth who who thinks that, but like, I think it's I phenomenal. I'm going to have to just, I'm gonna look it up. I just, I just saw Todd a week ago. He, he was he was doing his crowd work thing here in Evanston. Well, yeah, like, so he's playing drums in a band. Uh, obviously, Fred Armisen. Mm -hmm. um uh, belucci played drums in the dead boys for a little bit you oh know? that's right you I know like that yeah there's a comedy drummer thing like especially fred, a punk comedy drummer thing have you noticed how how good fred has gotten since he started playing on that on the seth Meyers show <laughs> yeah he's practicing all the time now <laughs> oh my god i mean he wasn't he wasn't a bad drummer before but like now it's like he it's it's pretty cool to see yeah. And I, I bet, I bet he's excited about that. I mean, he is such a huge music fan and like, I mean, he really, his game is just so good now. Oh yeah, no, he's definitely, well, like talk about a high profile drumming gig. You know, you want to get your chops if you got yeah, that. Yeah, don't mess up every night <laughs> no. on national TV. <laughs> no, you got like Quest Love and Max Weinberg. Like you got, right. there's a, there's a yeah. high bar that's set for you as a, as yeah. a late night drummer. Anton Fig. Yeah, was, yeah. Isn't that the Letterman? Wasn't that the Letterman guy? I, you know what you? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I could be um, wrong, but I do know G. Smith played in a punk band from Saturday Night Live. Did he? Yeah, he's a Milwaukee guy, right? Uh, I guess, but this was a New York band. It was like Roger C. Real and the Rue Mork, huh. and and they did a seven inch, maybe even an. LP. He didn't have the hair though. Different. He hair, does. I hope. Yeah, like I, I've only really? to be fair, I've only seen like a little, like you know very artistically kind of laid out back sleeve photograph of them, but you can kind of tell there's some length of that hair going on. Oh, you know? all right. Like there's like all some right. long bang kind of things hanging down a little bit in the front and then it's pulled back. 
He's a, uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, if I ever met him, that'd be all I want to talk to him about is his punk band. Yeah. <laughs> no SNL questions for me. No, that's, yeah, that's unlikely. No, yeah, definitely. I guess he's dropped off kind of the face of the earth now and it's, it's harder to find, but it mm. is certainly a uh, lost thing. But yeah, anyway, this has been incredible, Jason. And, and I would, I could talk to you forever. And anytime you want to come back, I will, I will punish you some more. And thank you, know. you for having I, I love, I love the Punisher. <laughs> well, that's, I, tell I love you. talking to the Punisher. The, There's this a wrestler is the Punisher. called the Punisher, right? Part of me? There's a wrestler called the Punisher, right? Or is it a cartoon? It's a, it's a, it's a superhero. It's a comic book. Yeah. This yeah, is a, yeah. You're confusing your fantasies now. Sorry. <laughs> I got all but, wrapped up in the kiss thing. Yeah. I'm going to tell Bob. Bob's going to be pissed. He's like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. I'm no longer in the band. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, I think if, if I were, I think, I think that's the thing. If I were in the band, I would just throw off that balance. You need someone that's not into wrestling because as soon as you have another person into wrestling, it would just throw everything too weird. So that's probably John why. and I, John and I are curious. We'll ask him questions about it, but he knows he can't go too deep, you know, cause we'll start gazing off. He is the one. <laughs> so like his period of wrestling is so beloved and so documented, Yeah, yeah. but he's the one great shoot interview that's never happened. Like he's the one guy who's never like talked shit on everyone else he worked with basically. Yeah. And I feel like he's being goaded by Eric Bischoff, who was a on-screen wrestling slash behind-the-scenes executive for WCW. He talks a lot of smack about Bob, and I want Bob to just really? take his gloves off. Yeah, I'm. I'm I Bob keep, knows I'm, that. I keep telling Bob, I'm like, he's 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 throwing he's throwing shade. <laughs> I think he wants a promo battle, and I want to give yeah. you the forum to do yeah. it. <laughs> It'll be your that'll be your most popular podcast of all time. Oh, it pisses me off when I hear Eric Bischoff like, yeah, he's in some alternative band. They weren't any good. I'm like, Husker, dude, what the fuck, motherfucker? He's not in one band, one band. Oh, it makes me so angry. Wow. I want Bob to go off. I'm like, come on, Bob, please, please, deathmatch style, go after. Take the Bischoff. bait. Take the bait. Take it. Take it. <laughs> well, anyone, anytime you want to take the bait again, Jason, to come back here, please know the door is oh, always man. open. It's great to see you, buddy. When 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 are you gonna be on the road? When can we run into each other again? Thank you, Jason, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Jason will be back for uh, future episodes. And also, he'll be seeing me on the road. And hopefully, you'll be seeing him on the road. Hopefully, we'll be seeing each other on the road safely, safely at some point in the near future. Because oh. Cannot wait. He talked about those goosebumps that you get from the camaraderie. I definitely get it just being at shows. Being at a show, again, felt so good a couple weeks ago. Anyway, uh, I mentioned off the top, it's a little late, so I'm, I'm a little tired. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to what's coming up later on this week on the show. Later on this week on the show, uh, this, is, this is a wild one. From uh, the movie Silence of the Lambs. From the TV series Grey's Anatomy, from the TV series Weeds, she's been in dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of amazing things over the years. Brooke Smith is here on the show, and she, believe me, this this is just the... Some of you may know this. I was not prepared for uh, Brooke's uh, punk rock resume, and oh, I, I, you're in for a treat. This is a fun one. This is coming out later on this week on the show. And uh, 
I'm I'm stoked for you to hear it. I'm very very excited. Thank you to my buddy John Ross Bowie for the for the hookup with this one too. He's he's the one that brought this episode together. So anyway, I'm not going to overhype it. You're you're going to hear it in a couple days anyway. Remember as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids. We need to help trans people protect themselves. We need to stop hate and violence towards Asian people and people of different faiths and just. Just all this Nazi shit's got to be, like, knocked off, just forgotten about. Because this shit isn't political. This isn't, these aren't political issues that we're talking about here. These are just basic human rights issues. Just people trying to be free and live their lives. So, you know, smash Nazis, smash fascism, like, just get rid of all that bullshit. You know, then we can talk about politics, you know bike lanes and all that kind of stuff. That's, 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 that's more politics. You know, this isn't politics. Um, go ahead and do something creative for yourself. You know, you just you start a band, you start a fanzine, you know, build your own culture. Anyone can do it, but it doesn't have to be that big. You may just draw a picture for yourself. Just write a story. Just get some of your thoughts down. You know, it can help. It can help with mental health stuff. Um, as well as enriching the world, but it can definitely help with your own personal mental health stuff. Speaking of helping with mental health stuff, try meditating. It works for some people. I didn't believe in it. I find it works for me when I remember to do it. I need to remember to do it more often. Um, but try it. Maybe it'll work for you. Sign your organ donor cards because you don't need that shit when they come for it. You don't need it at all. Not at all. Not one bit. <sighs> Get your shot. Stay safe. Uh, wear a mask, you know, just do all the things we're supposed to be doing and we'll get through this thing. I believe it. I really believe you got to hold on to hope, right? Hold on to hope. Oh, that's it. I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.